Good morning. It's my joy to get to introduce Clint Pulse and his son Ian. Y'all mind standing where you are? Give us a wave. We've got their, their picture on the screen. I'll tell you a little bit about them. They've lived in Columbia for about five years. Clint is the academic director at CA. Uh, Ian has finished high school and he's now working at Comprehensive Logistics in Spring Hill. Uh, Clint also has two older children, a son named Jake, who's an engineer in Shreveport, Louisiana, and a daughter, Shelby, who is a junior in the nursing program at Fried Hardeman. Uh, both Clint and Ian are excited to be here at West 7th and eager to get plugged in. To that point, uh, Clint is leading worship tonight at Connect. Uh, so how's that for jumping in with both feet? Uh, speaking of Connect, tonight you will want to be here. This is one you will not want to miss. We're going to begin a quick detail because we changed our plan, and so some of the, uh, the bulletin the, is it may be a little confusing because we've changed our plans. We're going to meet at 5 o'clock, and we're going to meet in the auditorium. Normally we meet at 6 in the teen center, so 5 o'clock in the auditorium. We're going to have a Q&A session and try to answer as many questions as we can about our project uh, of the Outreach Center. So we've got some questions you've already submitted. We're going to open the floor for others. We want you to be here. And then after that Q&A session, we're going to open up the, team, uh, the Outreach Center and let everyone go and, and take a look. And you'll really want to, you will enjoy that. Um, starting at 5 o'clock will allow us to have more daylight as we're crossing the street and, and taking that tour. So the Matthew class uh, and the judges class, uh, both of those are going to start at 4 to be through in time to join that connect. Children two years and older are going to have a Bible class. So come into the auditorium and they'll be dismissed from there. And so that will be helpful for young families that you can be a part of this as well. Uh, Gary Ely is going to be here for that as well, but he's our guest speaker today. Gary, come on up. I want to share just a few words. Uh, many of you were able to meet him uh, last week as he was with us. Uh, Gary is first and foremost a minister of the gospel, plus he has helped more than 200 congregations to exceed their generosity. Um, just truly as the Bible um, teaches and encourages us. I came to know Gary uh, when I was in Coleman, Alabama. We were doing a total relocation project, uh, and he did such a great work for us there. I, I remember Gary's uh, meekness and his Bible teaching and his pointing us to faith. And it truly was a faith-building experience, one of the best stewardship studies uh, from Scripture I've ever been a part of. And so I'm excited that our elders have decided to engage him and to help us. He's going to present our lesson this morning, as well as a Bible class for all the adults. Now, for those of you teaching children and teens today, it's going to be recorded, the Bible class session, and the Connect is going to be recorded. So if you miss that, you can just call the office and get a copy, a CD, or a DVD, or catch that online. Gary, come over here. Let me pray with you, and then I'll let you share the word with us. God, we love you so, and today as we continue our worship, I thank you for Gary, for the many ways he has blessed so many of your people through the years. And Father, today we begin... Uh, an awesome opportunity and I pray that as Gary preaches today and teaches our class that you will speak through him help him to be your servant help him to guide us into your truth give us receptive ears and as Max prayed we pray again a heart to seek righteousness and do what is good and that everything we do will bring glory and honor to you 
Thank you for hearing our prayer and for answering. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I am very delighted to be here. I really am. I have never, and this is the honest truth, I have never come into a congregation, over 200 of them, and been treated and greeted as well as I have here. And you may think that that is just me saying that because I want to butter you up, but really it is the truth. I had so much food, a basket full of goodies that uh, my wife would never give me, you know. And so I am very grateful for that opportunity. Let's see if I'm, okay, let's see how we do this. I think some of you might remember March the 6th, or May the 6th rather, 1954. On that occasion, the impossible was done. Something that doctors said could not be done, something that psychologists said could not be done, the body cannot handle it, it cannot make it. And that is when Roger Bannister ran the first four, below four minute mile. Three minutes, 59 seconds, point four. Just barely below it. But that day the impossible was done. As a result of that, two months later, another person did the impossible and even broke his record. Am I coming through? And broke his record. And then, because he did it, a few years later, five others, two years later, five others came through that. And now, if you cannot run a mile in less than four minutes, please get off the track. You are slowing everyone down. I want to say, as humbly as I can say it, that I have done a 4-0 mile. 40 minutes. It took every bit of it, too. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I don't know if I want to do that again. So, but he did the impossible. Something that people just said it cannot be done. I want you to turn to your book of Mark, if you would, in your Bibles. I'll start in Mark 8. We'll stay most of the time in Mark 9. And Mark brings us a, a, a very special presentation of, of how Jesus lived his life. It seems the first eight chapters are focused on ask, answering the question, who am I? And then having answered that question by the life that he lived, basically, and Peter comes in chapter 8 and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus makes this response, which we all know, and is somewhat surprising to us. He says, don't tell anybody. There was still a lot of misunderstanding of what the Christ was to do, who he was to be. And every time you see in the book of Mark in the first eight, nine chapters, don't tell anybody. He's saying you're going to tell them the wrong story. You may use correct words. You may say I am the Christ, but you're not going to tell them what the Christ's vision is to do. You're going to miss that. Because Peter would say to him just after these words, Lord, you know, I just want, I do not want you to talk anymore about going to a cross and being crucified. Of all the things you could say, you don't need to say. It says Peter rebuked Jesus. And then the next phrase says, Jesus rebuked Peter. Get out of my life, Satan. 
you're a stumbling block to me. You're wanting to do the things of man, and I'm wanting to do the things of God. Powerful statement. Amazing to hear our Lord say to someone, get out of my life. If you're going to be that way, if you're going to keep telling me not to go to the cross, you are stumbling and you're putting up a roadblock into what my vision really is. And there you have in chapter 9 the transfiguration. Where Moses, Elijah come and visit with Jesus and he is white as snow. He is, it is such a, we can't even imagine how marvelous of a, of a show that would be, of what he even looked like. He is white as snow. And Peter again, and Peter is not any really different than the rest of them, I don't think. He just speaks up first. And so Peter said, Lord, here, here we go. I got, it, I got it for you. This is what we'll do. I'll build you a tabernacle. I'll build Moses' tabernacle. I'll build Elijah's tabernacle. And we'll have three tabernacles here. And the voice from heaven came and said, This is my son. Listen to him. I don't think it was a soft voice. I don't think it was, this is my son, listen to him. I think it was, listen to him. You're focusing on what you want to see happen. He's telling you what he's going to do. And you keep your focus on what you want to see. Listen to him. See something that is immediately amazing to them. There's an argument going on. So Jesus entered into the crowd and he said, what's this all about? What's going on? And a man answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Now that little phrase, but they could not, causes us a lot of questions, doesn't it? Why? After all, they had seen Jesus cast out demons in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 5. He sends them out two by two, and they come back and say, even the demons are subject to us. So why on this occasion, after they've already had success casting out demons, why now? Why this? So Jesus says to them, bring the boy to me. Oh, unbelieving generation. So he, he, he has said this to his disciples, bring the boy to me. So the text says, verse 19, Jesus started out by saying these words, O oh, unbelieving generation. But they could not. Why? Now, I've already mentioned the fact that they have seen Jesus do it so many times. They have done it themselves. And so Jesus says to them, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? 
How long has he gone and you've had to deal with this? The father answered from childhood. He's often been thrown into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You remember Jesus' response? Mom, you remember Jesus' response? Everything is possible to those who believe. If I can, you're asking me, if I can, everything is possible to the one who believes. And then the statement that is returned is very much what I've said a number of times. I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I don't know if I'm that deep in faith. I believe you. I have faith, but please help my unbelief. So immediately, the fathers exclaimed, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. He did the impossible. He did what others tried to do and could not do. Paul Little wrote a book many, many years ago entitled How to Give Away Your Faith. And in that book, he gives this picture of a body of Christians, such as we are, and a new person has come in and given his life to Christ. And so he says his faith is down here on this level when everyone else's faith in the congregation is up here. And due to the influence of the people up here, his faith begins to grow. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows, until it gets to the same level where everyone else is, and that's where it stops. And Little says, if you ever want to get to the point of having a faith that is big enough to move mountains, if you ever want to grow to a point of a higher faith, somebody, somebody, in your midst is going to have to step up to that faith level and you can follow somebody i do think that we have that kind of effect on each other i do think that my faith has come to a point that unless i'm with other people whose faith is greater i may stay at the same level i need somebody to step up in my life You need somebody to step up in your life because, folks, as high as we are, we haven't gotten there yet, have we? We've got a ways to go. So Paul Little made this statement, and to me, that, he said, will change the environment. That will change your environment. And you'll see a new level that you can grow to. So the first reason that they could not cast this demon out 
is simply the lack of faith. Even after they cast out demons, they come to this one, and there's something about it. Something about it that they just can't handle it. And so Jesus comes to the second, or they come to Jesus and ask him a second question. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind, this kind can come out only by prayer. This kind. Some way, this demon, we all know that demons have their different levels as well. In some way, this demon is at a level that their faith had not risen to. They cannot deal with this demon. Their faith is not great enough to deal with this demon. And so Jesus says, this kind, this kind of problem, this kind of thing that you're facing can only come out by prayer. Now, Jesus saying the disciples didn't pray at all? Did they just come to this situation and just say, come on out, spirit. Come on, get out of there. Did they not go to God at all? I have a feeling that they did. But I kind of have a feeling that they may have said it this way. Almighty God, we know that you can do almost anything. And we're asking you now, Father, to do something. Just give it a try. Just give it a try. And so Jesus said, no. This kind comes out only by prayer. There is a connection between faith in our life and prayer in our life. I wish I thoroughly understood this passage. I wish I thoroughly understood what Jesus is meaning when he says this kind comes out by prayer. I think he's saying by your prayer life, if it's what it ought to be, Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Depending on the translation you have, it may say other things like stay with it, whatever. But the idea is don't let anything get in front of your prayer life. Don't let things take precedence over your prayer life. Now, I'll just confess, folks, I can go a number of days and I can get up sometimes and think, oh, I've got so much to do, and I start running and start trying to get it done. And I think later, I haven't prayed. Maybe some of you have been in that. But Paul is saying to these folks, I want you to devote yourself to this. I want you to be so attached to prayer that it does not leave your life. And by doing that, you're going to be able to move mountains. I have a friend, well, he's passed away. Had a good friend by the name of Joe Cannon. Any of you know that name? Let me know if you do, because he's, he's somewhat famous, at least I thought he was. Joe Cannon, well, let me just say it this way. This is what people said about Joe Cannon. They said, Joe Cannon is a nut.
And I didn't have a whole lot to go to back, you know, to fight him. He was so different. I would go into the Highland Street Church of Christ building where I was working at that time. And Joe would meet me and he would often say these words. Almost every time I met him, he would say these words. Are you all prayed up? Are you all prayed up? We were getting ready to do a building program there. And he is going to do a Mission 1000. He started Mission 1000. It was his goal to train a thousand people to go overseas and be assistants to the missionaries who were there. A thousand. So he'd been doing that for a few years, and he says to me, I'm going overseas. I've got to go back to Papua New Guinea. I said, Joe, no, you can't do that. You've got Mission 1000 coming up, and we're building a building. I can't teach the things that you teach. You can't go this time. Joe said, yeah, I'm going. God told me to go. I'm going. And I said, when will you be back? He said, I don't know. I don't have enough money to come back. <laughs> I've got enough money to go. I've raised that much money, but I haven't raised money to come back yet. Joe, please, please don't go. I can't deal with this. I can't do what you can do. Gary, if God wants me to come back, He'll send me back. If he wants me to stay, that's where I'll stay. Joe was a nut. I have said often, I honestly have said often to myself, I wish I was as big a nut as Joe Cannon. I wish I had the kind of faith that Joe Cannon has. I wish I would step out there and go and do things that I think are above my head and let God work through me. So here's our plan to conquer the vision. We're going to believe that God can do this through us. I know we could sit around for a long time and I could engage myself into this conversation saying we just don't have the physical money to do that. Folks, God can do everything. And unless we put ourselves to him, before him, and say, God, through prayer, what do you want me to do? Then we will not ever really know the answer we could have gotten. So we'll be going through this with faith, with prevailing prayer. What do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to act in this? And always act with great gratitude. Mark chapter 10 let me just do this in conclusion. I love Mark. Everybody loves Mark. If you ever met Mark, <laughs> read Mark. First eight chapters, who am I? Last, this is who I've come to be. His greatest gift to us, the greatest gift that Jesus ever gave to us, that God ever gave to us, was our salvation by grace. We did not earn a bit of it. I could sit around all day and all week and all month and all year and say, I am not good enough. And all Jesus would have said is, you're right. I am good enough. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus confronts this rich young ruler. The rich young ruler confronts him. And he says, I 
I need you to do something for me. So Jesus said, well, tell me, tell me what you have done. Tell me about how you've approached this. And he talked about the commandments he's kept. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. There's something about this guy that Jesus loved. And he said, there's just one thing you lack. Just one thing. Go sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. The only person that has ever heard those words from our God is this rich young ruler. Sell everything that you have and come follow me. And you remember that he went away sorrowful because he loved his, his goods. He loved his money. And Jesus spoke about this and said to his disciples as he was walking away, how difficult. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And the disciples responded by saying, well, Lord, if that's true, who can be saved? Because they still lived in the same atmosphere of the people of Job's time, thinking the wealthiest people are the ones who are going to make it. They're going to make it. So Jesus has to help them understand the fact that it's harder for a rich man to be saved than it is for others. It's harder to give up. And then they ask the question, well, who then can be saved? And here's this phrase again. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God can even save rich people. Peter says to him, Lord, we've left everything we've had. We've followed you. What's going to happen for us? He said, we'll be blessed bountifully. Hundredfold in this life and in the ages to come more. The grace of God saves us. The greatest gift that God has ever given us is his grace. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I am praying, I am begging that you think seriously about the fact that you never will be able to do it yourself. And that you will think seriously this morning about the fact that the grace of God is freely given to us. And it is greater than all of our sin. If you've not come to Jesus, I pray that you'll believe in him, trust him, give your life to him, and be buried with him in baptism. What a beautiful time that is to be united with your Savior in the water of baptism. We invite you to come today if you'd like to come to Jesus. Let's stand and sing. Yes.